And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the sea had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to go ahead and let's go into chapter 22. It's still the inside of heaven. We're not going to preach on it, but I want you to just be aware of it. This is kind of the reverse, let's get back to Eden type of a feel here, okay? Chapter 22, let's read these next um, five verses. And he showed me, still the inside of heaven, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face. And His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. That's it for the description of the inside and outside of heaven right there. You know, again, we're going to look tonight. Here's what we'll look at, verse 22 to 27. That's all we're going to look at tonight, okay? Three descriptions of the inside of heaven. There's more descriptions, but just those three. So, um, have you, anybody ever seen these crystals? Maybe you haven't, because maybe you're, if you're young enough, you're not paying attention to this. But did anybody ever see like a commercial they used to have for like Dell Web communities? Do anybody remember ever seeing a Dell Web community commercial? They don't have them that often, but all right. You know, they try to sell. Maybe they only show them at like places where people are about to retire. I don't know. Or they send you, you know, a, a pamphlet of people that they think are going to retire. And that <laughs> you got to have a little more money to be in that. But the Dell Webb is a builder, and I think he's out, he's really all across the United States, but he builds these nice communities. Sometimes it's only for retired people, sometimes it's for anybody, like Anthem. These, there's an Anthem up here and an Anthem over by Florence. Really cool, uh, massive development, nice neighborhoods. And then there's some that are a little more for like a kind of retiree. My wife's uncle, uh, aunt and uncle, uh, actually her uncle just died in December. But uh, Sue and Wayne lived in a Del Webb community in, in Tennessee. And when we were out there uh, a couple years ago visiting Susie, we drove 45 minutes away and visited um, uh, their, her aunt and uncle, Sue and Wayne. And it was a Del Webb community. And they loved, they wanted to show it off. You know, and, it, and, it, and I, think it, I think that seemed like there may have been more older people there. I couldn't remember. But it was nice there. You know, the, uh, I think there was a check-in gate or something and you go and there's fountains and and uh this and that and the other thing and my aunt sue she's probably 
uh, late 70s at the time, I think. And she's like, yeah, we have this. This is the clubhouse. She's all excited about the club. In fact, she took us in there. And there was a big pool and this and that other thing. I'm like, man, this place is cool. You know, kind of makes me look forward to retiring if I have enough money to be here, you know. And uh, it was really nice. You know, they have different things to keep you occupied and, and moving and alive <laughs> a little longer. And, uh, but, but I remember seeing a few of these commercials before. Not very The whole idea, look at this community. We got this and we got that. And all these people that are like, they're supposed to be, you know, older, but they kind of, I don't know, that guy might look like he's only 50 and you're telling me he's a 70-year-old. I don't know about that. And he's playing tennis like this, you know, and like, I don't know if that guy's really 70 playing. But anyways, they make it look really, really nice and cool. This is fun over here and they're doing their little shuffleboard and they're doing whatever, you know, uh, and it's supposed to appeal to the older people. But, you know, they're like, look at this. They want you to want to go there. That's the idea. They want you to see the inside, so you would want to go there when you're there. And then, of course, there's other things like you kids, you know. You might see a commercial for some, I don't know if they have, what's the little Uptown Jungle? Is that what it's called still? They keep changing the names. You know, these little bounce houses, and they might have a commercial for that. Look at this. These kids bouncing around, and the parents can rest over here and be happy and get all their energy out. And they want you to see the inside and see these kids having fun, so you're going to want to want to go there. You know, they want you to want to be there. And, um, and here, and that's all, this is all early appeals. You know, going to a restaurant or going to some amusement park, you know, um, we're going to a new community. They want to make the appeal that you will want. They want you to see the inside, so you desire to be there. Now, in a much, much, much greater way, in the greatest way, God is doing this for us. Look at chapter 21, verse, um, at the end of verse 9. Chapter 21, at the end of verse 9. John is, 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 is uh, escorted by one of these angels that was showing him another city. Now he's going to show him this one. And he escorts him to this great and high mountain. He says at the end of verse 9, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. He's showing him something that's passed along to us. That's, look at this beauty, look at this appeal, and it's real, and it, you couldn't get better than what you're going to see. So that a person hearing, seeing, or reading this will desire to be there. God wants people to desire to be here. Look at this. Look at uh, verse 17, the last chapter. Verse 17. This, and the bride, to the reader here, the Holy Spirit, the bride, that's the church. That's what we should be saying. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Have you read this? You've read all this? Now come. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. That's the only way you're going to get into this city and be saved. God wants people to want to go to heaven. God wants people to want to be saved. God wants people to be thirsty for the salvation, that is the water of life in Jesus. And part of the purpose of showing this city is not so that we that have an architectural appeal be like, that's pretty cool. No, it's just be like, wow, that is neat. And you have to perceive it the best you can in your imagination and your mind's eye the best you can. We can all agree that... Um, this will not be entirely understood. We can't 100% understand everything about these, the, perhaps the, the foundation stones or the way it's constructed. Even good scholars have different views on how, what does this really look like. But we get the gist, don't we? 
it's not entirely understood everything about the, this water coming out of the throne. It's not 100% entirely understood about we read about fruit. I like fruit. Now, I understand that part. Fruit's good. It's not entirely understood about the healing of the nations with these leaves. I, I'm not sure I understand that entirely. But listen to this. This is called the book of Revelation. He still wants to show it to us. So entirely misunderstood or ignorant. He said, look, you can know this. You may not completely understand it, but you can know it. This is called the revelation. God's saying, I want to disclose to you some of these things. Even if you don't get 100% of it, uh, if we get 10% of this, this would be good. So God's showing John, the lamb, the bride, the lamb's wife, in contrast to another city earlier in the chapter or earlier in the book, the whore. Man's city, the devil's city, really. The city that was looked at as uh, arrayed with jewelry, but filthy. A city that was looked at as trying to make an appeal to all the men and compromising with all the men of the earth. In contrast to a compromising woman, you have an uncompromising woman, the bride, who's not trying to make an appeal to every man or every, every trend or everything, but an appeal to Jesus only. You have the bride who is, de- who is beautiful, pure beauty, not, not, uh, not some other kind of beauty that's been tainted. So there's two contrasting female personages here. Personages here. All right, so verses 10 to 21, it shows us the outside. John saw the outside. You see all the jewel. I mean, you have whole foundations. It's not the foundation of a city that has a little bit of speckles of of topaz or whatever, the, the, all the uh, amethysts and, and, and all these things. No, it's a whole, one whole layer is the amethyst. One whole layer is a jacinth. One whole layer is a topaz. All, I mean, wow. The, the, the walls are like crystal clear. There's this transparent gold look as well. And so we get the outside. Now inside features, verse 22, all the way into chapter 22. We won't go into that far, but let's look at three features here. We're going to see that we're shown one of the inside features of heaven. Here's the first one. We're going to see it's, there's unassisted worship. Then we're going to see there's unusual light source. And then we'll see, last of all, that there's an, there, it was, it's an incorrupt, uncorruptible city. All right? Uncorruptible city. So let's look at this in your Bible here. The first thing we're seeing for the inside of heaven, here we go, God's showing us through John. Look at this. The first thing we're introduced to is an unassisted worship. Okay, what does that mean? In verse 22 it says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So when John looks into the city, there's no temple in this city. You know, when people in, his, in this day, it didn't matter if pagan or Jewish or Christian, people in this day, across the board, pretty much if there was a city, there was some kind of temple there. Right? We can relate with that. If there's a town, there's some kind of church, synagogue, temple. Whenever there's a big city or, or town or city of any size, there's a temple, a, a structure to accommodate worship and connect or somebody's perception of God. There's always a temple in a city, right? There's always a synagogue or, or, or some place like that in a city. But John says, when I saw it, there's no temple in there. Yeah, that's not needed anymore. I don't need that anymore because the person that we are... When you go to a temple or you go to a confined space that's dedicated for worship, what's the purpose of doing that? To try to stop and pause and connect and learn and perceive. 
God and, 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 and know Him. And, and it's needed. It's necessary for us to do that. Uh, uh, we, have, we have temples. We have confined places that have parameters and location that we go to so that we can block out some distractions and so we can think about, okay, what's God like? What's God trying to say? I want to pray to God without distraction. I want to sing and worship to God without some disruption. I want to try my best by faith to perceive God and hear His Word and perceive. And it's my place. It's my place of focus. It's my temple. It's a place where I sacrifice and I give. Of course, the Old Testament, there was animal sacrifice. New Testament, we give in other ways. We give ourselves, really. And you can give through other material ways. And so there's this place of exchange and God and perception of God. But Jesus, He's not there. Well, He's in this temple. But He's not there in that sense. But now, here's heaven. Oh, we don't need that anymore. It's a, it's, it's, you need, it's, the worship is unassisted. There's no earthly implements needed in heaven. So when we go to that city, it's not like, we're going to see the coolest church ever. No. It's the whole city. That's all we need now. The church, it's temp- it, the idea of church building, it's all a temporary thing. Um, there'll be no implements needed for worship, no building to go to. There, you'll be able to see, think about this. I'll be able to see God, and that's the point here, because it says they shall see His face, verse 4 of chapter 22. I'll uh, be able to see God without distraction. Be able to see God without distraction. I'll be able to... Uh, worship Him without assistance. There's no temple therein. There's no temple. I'll be able to connect in, with God, watch this, without any hindrance of my perception of Him, without a lack of perception. If hold your place and look in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. I believe Paul is talking about this very thing here. The eternal state what it's going to be eternal and our minds are opened up. Right now, we're seeing foggy in a way. We have God's Word, but the whole full perception is a little still foggy. He says, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now, on this side of life, we see through a glass darkly. But then, in the eternal state, face to face, now I know in part, don't have the whole picture. I'm missing some parts of the puzzle. But then I shall know even as also I am known. So in other words, does God know you fully now? He knows me fully now. Yeah, he sees me clearly. I don't see him entirely clearly. I can, this, as clear as I can see God is as, right now is as, how much as I can perceive his word. But there's still more to perceive. So Paul's saying, then I'm going to know him clearly like he knows me clearly what it's saying and so here there's no temple god's there that he's the temple of it unimpeded worship there's no need there'll be no need to fancy up your perception of god when you get there you won't think he's boring anybody ever think don't raise your hand you ever think man god's kind of boring well if you think god's boring there's two things number one you even if you couldn't even if you're just had the bible god's not boring just reading the Bible, God, it's really cool. God's fascinating. But even if you, for some reason, get bored with the Bible, God's not boring. When you see Him, you'll be like, whoa, I'm boring. How could God not be bored with me? You know? Think about God tonight. Now, think about the things that fancy you. Just, just 
think about beyond. Some of you are already thinking about things that fancy you, and you're like, man, I can't wait to get home and start doing this thing or watch this one. There's things that entertain you, huh? You don't have to tell. Andrew, you don't have to tell me. Oh, he's waving at somebody. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to tell you something that I'm entertained with. Anyways, think about this. Okay, so think about the whole idea of, okay, how many of us laugh? Do you like to laugh? Oh, yeah, I like to laugh. It's good. It's good for you, yep. I, <coughs> there's friends that I used to like to hang out with because they would just make me laugh, and I just felt better laughing afterwards. Who invented that? God wired you in such a way so that laughter can be triggered. And you're like, man, I like to laugh. Now, it could be used for good or bad, but who wired that? God did. He's pretty neat, didn't he? Who made you taste, be able to taste stuff? You like to taste things? You're like, after church, I'm going to taste some ice cream. <laughs> after supper, Caleb. Okay? All right. Then ice cream. You know, isn't that cool to taste stuff? Oh, I can taste something. Ooh. Who made that? God made it to where you can taste. Again, it goes away. You get old. Like, I can't taste anymore. Well, that's evidence of our sin nature and our, our uh, corruptible, corruptible body. What about even seeing just the idea that I go like this in this glass, these fleshy things of glass right here. I can see all kinds of things and perceive light and distinctions and brightness and, and darkness and clarity and depth and hues and Wow, who made that camera? Two of them that work and coordinate, they're supposed to. And it been just, I can't say, maybe microsecond, I can perceive something just so that, that quick. And it's receiving light and, and quickly through my nerves, going to my brain, translating it and telling me what I'm seeing. So fast. Who made that? God did. Uh, even, let's just forget about Christian or non-Christian. Who caused men like Bach to be made and to have their mind? I mean, some of the minds of some of these composers three or four hundred years ago, they make a lot of us modern musicians look like dumbbells. I mean, they had incredible... Who was the one of them went deaf halfway through his life? One of them, yeah, Beethoven. I mean, whoa. And again, even Isaac Newton, he was a... I, when, I, when I took, I think it was 12th grade physics at high school... I had a physics book, and I learned a lot about Isaac Newton, who discovered, he didn't invent any law. He discovered laws that are already in nature and said, look at this. And I started reading, like, this guy's, the guy that's telling me this is fascinating. What a mind. Leonardo da Vinci. Again, some of these guys may have been a little weird, too, but just the, the, the uh, there's the, the genius side of them. You're going, wow, that's amazing. Well, who made men, those men? God did. You know, the idea that God could be boring is, is not, is, is a, a false idea. Again, the fact is, is when we get to, um, when we get to heaven, it's almost like, wait a minute, how, or even right now, how could, how could God, how could you just, you've made everything and you're so incredibly intelligent. Are you bored with us? We've got to be boring compared to your mind. Yeah. You ever get around somebody that's really smart and they're like, man, I'm probably boring him, you know? Or a, a good athlete, you play basketball with another guy who's really good, he's probably, he's probably getting bored. Well, think about God, you know? So God is not boring. And uh, we will, when we see him, we'll see him. Uh, it says, his, they shall see his face, verse 4 of chapter 22. And then here, there's, there's no temple. We don't need the temple. We're going to see him, and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Unassisted worship. Now, next thing, let's notice this. It was shown, number two, an, un, an unusual light source. And the light source is God. Unusual to us. 
verse 23, 24, 25, 26. I'm just bringing that together as the idea of an unusual light source. Here we go. Verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon. It's going to go on to explain the light aspects there. Doesn't need the sun, doesn't need the moon, the city. Now, we need the sun, and we, you know, we need the moon. Did you know that there's even things in biology, certain things and things that grow in uh, water that need the moonlight? Did you know that? Our tides, our ocean needs the gravitational pull of the moon. We actually need the moon, as I go back to it, we also need the moonlight certain times to balance things out in nature. And the earth needs the sun, of course. Our solar panels depend on the sun. Your plants depend on the sun. A vitamin D, I guess, depends on you being in the sun. We need that. And, of course, you know, uh, eventually, uh, if there's no sun ever, eventually we don't have the things that will help us produce even electricity. We need the sun. And look here. This is an unusual light source, God. Verse 23, the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. Look at verse 23, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Here, we need solar and lunar, we have solar and lunar reliance. And, and um, today, we need that, we have that. But then, totally energy independent, totally energy independent, God is the light. By the way, it doesn't mean this passage, if you read it and think through it, it's not saying that there's, never, there's not a sun out in the universe somewhere and there's not a moon anywhere. It doesn't say, it's not saying that. It's saying this city is not depending on it. This city is illuminated from within God himself. So we see a light that's free, a couple of descriptions of this unusual light source, a light that's free of celestial dependence, saying a light from God himself. God is the light versus his celestial flashlights. You know, God, how many of you kids have a flashlight? Raise your hand. You got a flashlight? Yeah? Cool. Every time we go to camp, Dad, I need a flashlight. I'm like, we bought you one last year, didn't we? We'll find it. You know, God has a flashlight in the sky. <laughs> the sun. We've got some others out there, too. God is the light. Did you know Psalm 89.15 says this, They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. What? Imagine if I'm walking down a path with my kids, and it's dark, and you know we're in a, dark, we're in a, we're in a county island area. There's no lights on the sidewalk. And my kid's like, Dad, it's, it's, it's light outside. I'll be like, hold on, click, click, and it just shines out my face. I'm like, look at this. There we go. You know? And my light, my face just shines. There we go. And you can see. No, Dad, keep looking this way. You know, that's what it's saying. The Bible prophesies that we, uh, the people of God, are going to walk in the light of His countenance. Follow me to Acts 26, 12. Paul knew this. Look what Paul says as he recalls his testimony in Acts 26, 12 as he's speaking with this one king. Acts 26, 12. He's telling his testimony to, I believe it's King Agrippa here, and he had already told it in another passage, but here he says about when he got saved and trusted Jesus Christ, 
Acts 26, verse 13, at midday, O king. I, well, at midday, okay, wait a minute, that's at noon time. It's already bright. At midday, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. So Paul's telling Agrippa, he's like, Agrippa, I'm telling you my story of, of, of believing on Jesus. And I was going to go kill some Christians. I was coming from Damascus, had the authority and everything. And at midday, high noon, it's bright at noontime, I saw a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. I don't know how you get above that. Above the, wow. So it's almost like he knew the sun was shining on him, and then he knew something besides the sun was shining on him that was brighter than the sun. Isn't that crazy? Sometimes if you have a light on like this, and I turn my flashlight on, it's like nobody notices. You're like, oh, whatever. Or you're even like in midday, um, I mean welding maybe because it's concentrated, but, but a lot of times like nobody notices. But he's like, I noticed something. And this light says, uh, above the brightness of the sun, that is Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in Revelation 1, 16. Revelation 1, 16, John saw this light. <clears throat> this is how the city is going to be illuminated. God himself is the light. Revelation 1, 16, John sees the Lord Jesus Christ. His eyes are as a flame of fire. His feet are like... Uh, brass burning, fine brass, and it burned in a furnace. His voice is the sound of many waters. Verse 16, Jesus, the glorified Savior, had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp sword. At the end of verse 16, it says, and his countenance was what? As the sun that shineth in his strength. Jesus' countenance is like a the shining, brilliant sun. That's how he lights the city. Imagine that. That's how heaven's going to be lit by Jesus. So, so back to our text. We're learning about heaven. What about heaven? Well, it's unnecessary to have a temple. We have Him. We see an unusual light source. It's Him. We don't need the sun, the moon to, to help us out. We don't have, have to have SRP or APS provide power there or have some unique generator or solar panels. Or, nope, nope. Doesn't matter if there's a sun or a moon around. Jesus is the light. There's also the light is from God. And then another third, uh, the third description under the second point is the light is for the nations to appreciate. Look at this. And I, I'm not going to be able to enlarge deeply on this, but this is very important to me, what you see in 24 and 25 and 26. After it's speaking about the light, it says, and verse 24, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor in. Again, the it is referring to the city. The light is light. And the kings of the earth are going into the city, bringing their glory and honor into it. Verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. It's always lit. Verse 26. It repeats it. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. I do not have this figure out, 
But somehow, some way, there are nations, it appears, that are saved, perhaps got saved during the tribulation time and or during the millennium, and they go into this new uh, eternal state, saved people. Their names were found in the Lamb's Book of Life after the Great White Throne Judgment. Saved people, and they're somehow nations. And perhaps it's also Israel that's with them, ruling on the earth. So this is what I understand it to be. That Israel, it appears Israel and some other saved nations, that's God's term, somehow ruling on this new earth. Our primary residence is the bride. Our primary residence is, and this light, this city, 1,500, 1,500 square uh, cubic miles, brilliant, shining everywhere. It shines down on the earth. It says they walk in the light of it, and they go into it, bringing honor to God, showing appreciation for that light and for God Himself. A gigantic cubical gem in the sky, reflecting and refracting the, to the earth the luminous glory of Lord Jesus Christ. And somehow, some way, nations respond with some frequency, bringing their honors back to it. That's all I can figure out there. We'll have it definitely figured out when we <coughs> see the Lord. But here, an inside look of heaven. Wow, heaven, no temple, heaven's bright. Woo, it's going to be beautiful. You imagine light that, see, it's one thing to have light shining on stuff, you know, just carpet. What if it was full of jewels in here and not cheap stuff? I mean, real jewels. Uh, some of us maybe haven't seen real Beautiful jewels lately. I was at Miss Beth's work a few weeks back or a month ago, and they have high-quality jewelry in there, and just a little bit of light. You're going, wow, look at that. That is amazing. You, I, I'm no pro, but, man, that doesn't look cheap. That don't look like Walmart you know, costume jewelry there. That looks cool. Imagine if you have a whole place, just everything's. It's, just, it's showing the lavish, generous nature of God and His glory through those things. And the last point, we won't spend too much time on it, is that we're shown, the third thing we're shown is that the city to be un, an uncorruptible place. Verse 27, last thing of, verse, of chapter 21. What is this? When we look inside, it's uncorruptible. It's not going to be corrupted. Verse 27, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, I don't have all this figured out too, but I do understand this much, that the place that God's preparing will never get corrupted. You know, some people would come to, uh, they like America, they like our government, they like our, in the last, you know, 200 years of our country, people wanted to come here because like, this is a dependable place. This is a place of freedom. This is it has some good government structure. This is a place that has some good leaders, but it's getting corrupted, isn't it? A good thing and a good, a good, this is, a, it was a good plan of men. The democratic republic style of government uh, works best when there's a Christian message being preached through it and in that society, but you know, it's getting corrupted. The ideals of democracy in and of themselves don't work with godless people. It takes godly people to make this democracy work. Otherwise, it's just a, it's an empty template to, to apply to another godless group. They've tried that. It's like, well, we're going to try democracy. It'll work out for a little while, maybe. But if you're godless, it messes up. So my point is, is Kevin, a perfect place. It will never be corrupted. In fact, the only ones that are going to go there 
Are they which whose names are in the Lamb's book of life, Jewish or non-Jewish, saved nations or church people? They which are names are in the Lamb's book of life. Everybody in here will never go to heaven unless your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. Show up for a hotel, you have reservations. Like, hey, this is my hotel, I have reservations. In fact, I had this happen with a missionary one time. He called me, he's like, hey, they, they said I'm not on here. And I was like, uh, I bought, we purchased such and such from Priceline, and I think I just had it in my name, I didn't have it in his name. And so we corrected that real quick, and he was able to go in, you know, because his name was written there, and I made that correction. And so for us or anybody, their name has to be written in Lamb's Book of Life, Trust Jesus Christ is your Savior, it's there. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. Thinking about this city, a couple of just thoughts here. God is a God of light. What do you think about this? God is a God of light. I don't know. This is just a, you can think whatever you want about this. Something's weird to me. I don't get it. Maybe somebody can explain this to me. I don't understand it, though. I really don't. And maybe I'm just dumb. I don't know why <clears throat> when we go, people go to school, they have their lights on because they want to learn. We go to the library, you have your lights on because you want to go learn. Uh, when your workplace, you have your lights on because you want to see what you're doing. But some people, when they go to church, they turn the light on worship. I'm like, I like a God of light. I want to see what's happening. I'm going to darken it and have a few purple lights that make it look sketchy. God is a God of light. You're like, well, I want to have genuine worship. Man, when you get to heaven, it'll be genuine and it'll be illuminated by God himself. So I want to get a head start on that. When we can have light on here, we're going to have it. Now, we're not Waldensians being persecuted in Europe that had to worship in caves and depended on a little light coming through the top of a rock so the preacher can preach. No, that's not it. It's just that I like light because I know God is a God of light. And I don't want to portray some kind of dark, weird thing. And so God is a God of light. I want that to be seen in our life, in our, in our, in our style, even. Uh, God is not boring. God is not boring. So we should be uh, drawn to Him and love Him and admire Him and try to reflect His creative nature in us. And, of course, most of all, a person needs to know that their name's in this Lamb's Book of Life as we looked at tonight. Otherwise, you'll only see that city from these pages and not see it indeed.